Hello and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Miel. This is part of my 29 Days of Magic series where I interview a black woman a day, 29 straight days, all for Great Black History Month. And today, I'm super excited to have Wendy Washington, who is the founder and managing director at the TID agency. She has a phenomenal story, and I can't wait for you all to hear. Hey, Wendy, welcome. Thank you, Laura. What a great introduction. Thank you. Awesome. Well, so much to finally get you on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm honored. Yeah. You've been on since before. I was going to send you an email earlier. <laughs> yep. Since 2020. So we're here. <laughs> we're here. Uh, and so, first question uh, always the same. Answer is always amazing. I'm sure yours would be no different. So, Wendy, what was your first job? Okay, so I will t- I will start with my first professional job. Whatever you want, it can be anyone you want. Yep, I was a paralegal right out of college at a white shoe law firm here in New York, Pay Scholler Fairman Hayes and Handler. And then I just will say that as I was working, because you know I was Vassar alum, proud Vassar alum, and I was on my way to law school and. Ah. I started moonlight. I had friends and I started moonlighting as a writer. So, cause I enjoyed reading. And so I was a book editor. I don't know if you remember new word magazine with Garrett Fortner, like God, God bless him. But he, uh, he, it was, it was a magazine and I was, I, you know, pitched myself as the book editor. So while I was working crazy hours, as a paralegal, I also started writing a book column and reading. And so I was a, uh, I was reading all the books and then being the, the book columnist, reviewing all the books. And then I don't know if you remember Shade Magazine. Yeah. So I wrote for Shade Magazine and I would call in sick when I had, I had a cover story with Giancarlo Esposito. And so I called in sick and went to do that interview. So what I'm saying is, is I, my day job was paralegal and my night job was, was writing, writing about culture, music, entertainment, books, everything. Ah, I think I see where it's going. Yeah. So, you're a paralegal, you're, you know, went on our way to go to law school and then what happened? How did we get from having, you know, being that paralegal to now being where you are today? What was that journey like? The journey was interesting because, you know, largely through connections, there was an opening at Arista Records at the time. Someone said, go for the position. Now, I took the position in the publicity department so that I could get more writing editors, exposure to editors, so I could write more. So my intention was to jump in PR and then jump back into writing after I kind of got to know more of the editors. Of course, I jumped in in the PR department. And next thing you know, I became a junior publicist and went from Arista, went to different labels, different labels where I was heading up publicity departments. I wrote for as long as I could until it became somewhat of a conflict of interest. And then obviously more responsibility it led to less hours to be able to actually write. But the thing that drove me in publicity, I worked at Arista, then I went to Jive and worked with all I will say that I wrote the press release for Bad Boys <laughs> signing to Arista for the beginning of Bad Boy Records. Not Whoa. Oh, yeah, girl, not to date lived. myself. <laughs> not to date myself. But you have um, lived, my friend. You have lived. <laughs> well, and so I really love the aspect of storytelling, as you know, as a writer. So 
I went to another label, Jive, and we there were so many artists there. Jive doesn't exist anymore. It was a independent label. Sony later purchased it. And the artists there were not as well known by the elite East Coast writers or appreciated, I'll say, for the elite East Coast writers. And then some even in L.A., we had Mystical. We had all these different artists from all these different parts of the country, E-40 and Vallejo. So I just thought, why don't we just tell these stories like I can't pitch this you need to see it you need to see that's when regional hip-hop was really big so it made a big difference west coast rap east coast rap etc so I started doing junkets convincing my bosses inside of the labels to do junkets where we flew journalists to the different regions where the artists were from and we did experiences, which I now realize is experiential, right? That's experiential marketing, where we go to Vallejo, California, and we see what life is like in Vallejo in the whole region. So you understand the context for E-40 and his existence and what he's talking about and where he came from. And then, of course, we go to an E-40 concert. We go to his house. We do all of those things. So that led to a lot of the first time a lot of these artists were getting mainstream uh, media attention. And part of it was just from take the story, bring it to them, uh, bring the story, bring the writers to the story, to the context. My biggest one was Cash Money Records because when they came out, we flew everyone to New Orleans so everyone could experience what the Juvenile Hop video was about, what it was like to live in- <laughs> Oh my God, it's amazing. 100 degree weather with no air conditioning and you can see what they're what the magnolia projects are you can see what it is you can smell what it is you can touch what it is so we created a whole experience out of that so the context was everything so i realized that my roots now in experiential marketing come from narrative writing storytelling and then, of course, experience, actually seeing, tasting, touching something and bringing something to life so that people can digest and understand what it is more than you can put in a pitch letter. Right. So um, that's that's kind of been my journey. And I, I headed up PR departments for Motown, for Universal, for Jive within Sony, Sony Music Departments, worked with greats like Stevie Wonder and Erica Badu. I mean, I won't date myself by naming everyone <laughs> but um um that's my own that led to my own journey of kind of wanting to start my own company where i had the freedom without walls without you can't talk to this person because you're in this department and you're not in marketing right. you're not in this you're so i wanted to be all over the place so i could fully execute visions and so now that's what we do on behalf of brands and companies and artists we create experiences that bring projects, music, films, whatever it is to life, creating brand affinity, social media engagement, and so forth. Does, so does that answer your question? Um, I think it does. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so it sounds like you've had, you know, a front row seat to some really interesting, engaging times in the music and entertainment business. But I'm also guessing that was probably sometimes challenging. So I'd love to share a time where you had a challenge where you're like, there's no way you're going to figure it out. And then you did. That's that's kind of so as part of my PR, 
background. I worked with Britney Spears when she was having her own challenges for the first time prior to the conservatorship. I worked with Chris Brown when he was dating Rihanna. Uh, So I would say that those were kind of my biggest challenges. And they were challenging on a very personal level and challenging on a professional level. And the way I navigated, I'll just use Britney, for example, you know, when we were first launching the the album, I know Circus is on it. I can't think of the piece of me. I think the album was called Piece of Me. Anyway, she was inaccessible for a lot of that album. So that's when I had to get really clever about how do you market, how do you publicize an album in a way that's respectful of the person that doesn't exploit the person, but that you can market the music. So the music became the product, not the artist. And so doing, finding a strategy that would work without the artist, with the artist being highly visible, that was a challenge. I, that was that was the, the solution I kind of came up with was that's what you're going to have to do. So you're going to have to do things that just involve the actual music, not the artist. So that was kind of my workaround with that. For Chris, that was deeply challenging as a woman. That was deeply challenging because I had known him for a while, and so it was kind of out of character. So I kind of had to get over my own initial reactions and then kind of work to be part of the solution. And suffice to say, at that time, I think, and I think he would say this, there was just a lack of maturity because he was so young and so in a bubble to understand the scope of what was happening from a from a PR standpoint. And that's not at all to be dismissive of of what happened. But I think you understand what I'm saying just as a Mm -hmm. PR specialist. (laughs) That was my biggest challenge. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been an experience. Yeah. But I think the thing that you that you would exemplify and explaining is that is that how do you have you have empathy and you would care for the, all the people who were involved and try to and try to do the best you could with the circumstances that you were dealt and I think that's the most important aspect when you have challenges is, is to you know rise up to those challenges and find the best possible solution that you can. Yes, you have to follow your value system first, and then secondly, you have to do your best. So. So, for instance, you know, at the time I also worked for Jive Sony, there was, R. Kelly was an artist. And, of course, none of the stuff that came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time, you know, it was, uh, we were unaware of the scope of the monstrosity of things. So, I'm not going to discuss that at all. But there was someone who who did not want to work the project at all and and I think that that's and that's as it should be like you you have to be in alignment with your values you have you you have to start there it's so key and you know I think sometimes folks are in situations where you're like well if I don't do this then this will happen and it's like well if it doesn't align with who you are then you have to make those choices yeah yeah you do and then as you kind of navigated through so many interesting different experiences, what do you think you'd tell 18-year-old Wendy? I think that I would say I always was working 
so hard and always just focused on whatever was my immediate objective. So there are times when I've been in rooms or moments or around people that were super, upon reflection, incredible and, and, and a blessing. But at that point in time, I was so focused on what my immediate objective was that I was missing the greater context of what was happening personally, culturally, historically. You know, it's, it's funny looking back, last year was the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And I was in so many moments that were so incredible, but I can look back on those moments and in those moments, I did not fully appreciate in those moments how wonderful, momentous and beautiful they were because I was <laughs> so focused on the logistics, so focused on the specifics. So I think it's kind of like being present, having a presence, a full presence. Yeah, I, think that, I would say that to Wendy, I would say stop and just center yourself and really take in what's happening. Yes, get the job done. Yes, check the boxes, but take a minute. And so obviously, I think it's a great way of looking at this. Take a minute and like, whoa, this is pretty incredible. And but also thinking about the fact that like the Wendy who wanted to go to law school, has that Wendy ever popped up in on all of your experiences through the years? That Wendy has, the, the interesting thing is I think what I learned, especially I've had to deal with a lot of attorneys. Uh, you saw it's kind of some of who my clients were. As a PR person, I've had to interface with a lot of attorneys. What I realized is that PR work is a lot like being an attorney because you are advocating, you are pushing an artist. So you have to create, okay, or a project. Okay, what are the pros? What are the cons? What is the competitive landscape? What are my arguments? What am I? What are my counter arguments when someone comes back? If I want this cover. This person saying no, I can't have this. I want this. So what am I going to come back with? So that adversarial, that that logic, that attention to detail, has manifested itself through my work as as a PR specialist. So it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because, it, it's like, you know, I was similar. I wanted to go to law school too with pre law, the whole nine yards, and then end up, I end up in this side of the universe. I'm experiential as I read contracts. I have to, you know, the same deal, advocate for folks. And also, when you see something ridiculous, good, like, hold on, here's how we're going to argue this. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. All those skills that we learned in pre law. Or as a paralegal, or just working with lawyers, like comes in very handy in today's in today's jobs. It's absolutely true. From the mundane part of being a paralegal is being very organized, right? So when when you're when I first was breaking into PR, all of the con all of my contact lists, all of the mailings, checking, did I call? Did I email? Did I like everything? checking, 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 and then going back and checking again, that kind of organizational skill set I kind of really got from being a paralegal out of college, because I didn't have that coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, yeah. same. I, 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 I can write a very specific email. Let's just call it yeah. that. <laughs> 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, shut any conversation going further. <laughs> so yeah. it, it is quite... It is really that important skill 
and I think it, it really is so necessary. But also, you know, I think it's a key talking about the resilience and changes that you have to um, address as, you know, the market changes and the world changes. So as we said briefly in the beginning, we actually went virtually back in 2020 when the whole world shut down. Mm-hmm. And for uh, a company that, you know, thrives on in-person um, activations, how were you all able to kind of pivot and and survive during that time? Well, thank goodness we're national. And so what happened was, is we pivoted to, of course, the virtual world. So we we had a conference, for, in, for instance. So we did a virtual, we produced a virtual conference where I was able to source, you know, we sent gift bags, every, were mailed to the homes, over 200 gift bags mailed to the swag bags, conference bags mailed to the home, figuring out, working with uh, digital the digital hybrid producers of of how do you produce a conference? I mean, that was not a skill set I had. In 2019 and 2020, we had to figure that out, right? So the other thing is because we're national, different parts of the country had different reactions to the to the pandemic. Ooh, I hate to even say the word, but we were able to, for instance, in Atlanta, um, the mayor at the time, Mayor, mayor Bottoms, she was in charge of the census. So we did pop-ups in, she, she was interested, the census for the first time in 2020 was digital only. So it had to be filled out online and, and a number of places there was not, there was not a response. So that means, you know, the, the census is a big deal. That's how, that's how city states get financing, get money. So we did pop-ups with our trucks and we did them outside of the trucks where we had barbers, we had Lysol, we had masks. I mean, all of those things we pivoted are kind of in person, the the person to person contact, we limited it, but we were still able to do activations. We did them outside as opposed to inside of our truck. We did voting initiatives. So we did all kinds of come to our, come to this food truck. You can get food for the price that it was in 1965 when the voting rights was enacted. So we pivoted to do in person to person activations that were outside and that were healthy in different parts of the country where we could. We we pivoted to doing a lot of virtual as as I'm sure you did as everyone did uh, yeah. a lot of virtual events conferences so movie screenings the whole bit so we we pivoted and we that was actually one of our strongest years we've been around for i think we're going into our eighth year amazing yeah what's one of the things that you know you learn coming out of that because it's it's crazy to feel like 2020 is now four years ago because it feels like it was yesterday and and time is definitely a flat circle because you're like wait a minute Yep, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. But we had to learn very quickly some skill sets, right? We had to learn how to do Zooms. We had to, <laughs> Skype had been around forever, but we had to pivot and, and, and learn these things, teach these things, and then get production teams that were digital production teams, uh, as opposed to physically doing physical events. So whole different set of logistics, whole different mindset. But yeah. So what yeah. a what a blessing! Like that time, we learned a lot. Yeah, I always look at it as you know. I don't think we're all in the position that we are in now. Had 
COVID not actually happen? Because I think, you know, all of us are still just like, do what we need to do, make our, make our events awesome, do what we need to do for build our businesses. But we were probably all tired yeah. and, and exhausted. And I think in a weird way, it allowed us a, a moment to reflect and be jigger mm-hmm. uh, and find new ways to build. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end, the end up, we end up coming out stronger forward as a result of that. Even though at the time we're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, it very much definitely, you know, I, I can say for myself, especially that like, it, ha- it definitely helped me refocus on what matters. <laughs> you know, I will say one thing. I met you during the pandemic. So one thing that, that happened was we had a bunch of virtual socializing. So friend groups thrown together. I met people during COVID that I do business with today. So that form of networking, that that taking the time and slowing down, as you were saying, is beneficial. So I met a whole new set of people that I do business with today. Yeah, same. I mean, I think that's the thing that was, you know, so, you know, as challenging as that period was, and there's nobody who's going to that was such a lie, Pops. Um, but, yep. I think, you know, you know, in the, in the mess, there is a message. Um, and I think for a lot of that, it, it, for a lot of us, that was an opportunity for us again, make new connections who would, you know, help us set, set us on, you know, new and brighter courses that we probably wouldn't have had. Because, you know, look, we're doing this interview via Teams. And it's mm-hmm. like, and it's not a thing. It's not, oh my gosh, you have the software. How long is it going to take you to download? Think about what our life all used to be in terms of like having to do a video conference via, via on Skype. There was no such thing as Zoom um, or there was like a WebEx. And it was like, oh, this doesn't really work. We'll use a, we'll use a conference line. Uh, but now how, you know, in such a short window of time, how we do business, how we engage, but also how can we build relationships where it's like there's so many people I've met virtually who I still haven't met in person, who I've met like once in person, but I'll see far more often on, on virtually on, on like group calls or whatever it may be. Um, it's, it sort of definitely has led us to redefine how we communicate. Yeah. And it's for the it's for the best. I think we also figured out that we value more when we get to see people in person and have meetings in person. And I would not want to go back to that time, but we definitely have learned that that some things aren't in person meetings, some things aren't getting on a plane, some things are just getting on a Teams. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the ability to prioritize has really been one of the kind of blessings out of all of this. Like, does this need to be an email? Does it need to be a mm-hmm. phone call? Does it need to be a video call? Does, mm-hmm. Can this be a text? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, we've definitely kind of figured out a lot that along the way. And I'm sure now, as you know, as you're you know, crushing and all the way through what you do, I'm sure that you have to figure out some time to take time for Wendy. So what do you do for your self-care? Travel. I love, I love to travel. Uh, Last year, I was able to get away and go to Croatia and Bari, Italy. So I love traveling. I love to go discover new restaurants with friends. And there's always something. I mean, these (laughs) food, food is always good. And reading, reading. I I love, love, love to read. Uh, And it's very relaxing. So that's, that's what I do. 
Okay, so now I have to ask, what's the best new restaurant you found? Okay, so I'm really into two restaurants that I'm going to tout. One is Meadow Suite in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, delicious. And the other is Miss Ada's in Brooklyn, in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, kind of Mediterranean fare, just delicious. The artichoke soup is amazing. The Jerusalem artichoke is amazing. So it's Mediterranean. They're both kind of fairly healthy. Ooh, there's crocodile in in uh, the William Le Crocodile in uh, oh gosh, it's it's a hotel in Williamsburg. Delicious. I mean, there's so many good restaurants. Eyeball in Greenpoint. Eyeball in Greenpoint is amazing. So I really got on this huge Mediterranean kick, which now everyone is on. But it's delicious food, delicious, delicious food. And these are small kind of um, intimate restaurants. So that's what makes them hard to get into is just because of the space. But the attention, the quality of everything is just amazing. So those are my three or four recommendations, and they're all in Brooklyn. <laughs> awesome. I feel like I'm going to have to make a trek into Brooklyn, which normally is I never go to Brooklyn, but I will occasionally. <laughs> oh, no, you're not that type of Manhattan. No, <laughs> I, I can't. I used to be. Honestly, I didn't used to be. Well, again, the pandemic changed a lot of that. Like, all right, well, I was so happy to like, walk across the bridge and go make new friends, and so that's what I started doing. So uh, I will now go into Brooklyn for food. <laughs> I loved Mayor Bloomberg, but ever since he tried to turn Manhattan into St. Bart's, it's it's just been a boon to Brooklyn because Brooklyn is now, I think, we're cutting edge art, we're cutting edge cooking, we're cutting edge so much as I mean, Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys have their heart exhibit here. Jay-Z had his exhibit here at the Brooklyn Library. I mean, there's so much going on in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, it's it's so wonderful to see. I, I mean, I, I waited online for almost an hour to go to the phone exhibit because it was so yeah. amazing. So I yeah. I fully co-signed um, yeah. on, on all of that. Uh, and so I'm very jealous of you because I have been dying to go to Croatia. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Where did you, did you go to Dubrovnik or Split? Went to Split, Havar. Dubrovnik, oh. and then drove, did that dr- drive down the Dalmatian coast. So back from Split to Dubrovnik, it was, and then, you know, had the, had a, did the 10 hour ferry from Bari to Dubrovnik. That was overnight ferry. I've never done that before. An overnight ferry. Just, yeah, it was enchanting. I mean, enchanting. So I was supposed to go to uh, Croatia back in 2021. Flight was booked, trip was booked, um, hotels, everything ready to go. Was gonna fly into Dubrovnik the night before I'm supposed to go. I go to check in on Delta and I can't check in. And I'm like, what's wrong? Oh, no. I'm checking my passport number. Now it's 2021. I travel internationally every year, except for one year before that, because of a pandemic thingy. But what what could possibly go wrong with that? It turns out the passport had expired. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I tell you, uh, the, the levels 
the level. Oh. Um, and you know, I was also during COVID times, so he couldn't express their passport the same day. So I ended up not going, having to cancel everything. I went to home. Because oh. I was like, I need to go somewhere far away that is to the New York States. Well, it was a man, and hope, and you'll get there. It just wasn't there. meant to be at that time, but you'll get yeah. there. Yeah, I'll get there. Um, but uh, it is number one on my list of places to go because um, I want to do like a full week of just eating my way through Croatia and partying, apparently. <laughs> the food is amazing. The Bosnian food, amazing. I was, I was not prepared, you know, I was you not prepared. Ready. For the food, it was so good. Awesome. Uh, we have to compare notes, but since I still haven't figured out, I'm, I'm saying I hate going for some recommendations. So, last question for you: Do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Do I have a give or ask of the audience? And it could be um, anything. 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 Piece of advice. Anything. Oh, a piece of advice. Well, I would say, I think that my piece of advice is probably going to end up sounding super simple, but I feel like people don't do it. Well, my biggest advice is, I, I know what my cheat is, is to read the four agreements, because I think the four agreements is everything you need to know about personal and about professional. So my, my recommendation is to read the four agreements. Um, that's my recommendation. It helps just in terms of being present. It helps just in terms of pushing through. It helps if you're in a period of transformation, if you're just starting out. I think it's a great spiritual uh, centering and I would say spiritual professional guide. Awesome. I love that. Um, I have read the four agreements um, and I, I post on everything that you're saying. I think for business and personal, it's important to read it um, and then actually follow it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, because um, I was going to say do your best, but I was like, that's going to sound super simple. So if I put it in the context of this book, with all the other agreements, mm -hmm. then it makes more, it's more <laughs> profound. <laughs> Way more profound. Yes. Um, and I think it's applicable, especially applicable because people may be on different parts of their journey, you know? So I think that's, that's my recommendation. I love it. Uh, Wendy, it may have taken four years, but it has been so well worth the wait. You were so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Honored, Laura. Thank you for having me. And we'll put all the details in the show notes for folks to connect with you, as well as your restaurant recommendations and reading the four agreements. Um, because, you know, you're just such a dynamic leader and boss lady. Uh, and it's it's just, it, again, this is literally, this is why I need to find my so many of us out there that folks um, need to know and honor and respect. And so I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to, to get you on the Power 29 Days of Magic. Thank you. Awesome. And that is our show.